Hi, everyone. You're listening to Canada Horse Podcast, and we're your hosts, Nikki Porter and Nadine Smith. We strive to enhance the lives of horse owners by facilitating conversations that make people want to talk. It is our passion for horses and continuous learning that is the driving force behind the conversations here on Canada Horse Podcast. We believe in education over judgment and informed choices over following the crowd. As equestrians, it's important for us to know the whys behind the decisions we make for both ourselves and our horses. I'm doing everything for two horses and I have high standards on how they're Now I'm a groom them. and a coach and an exhibitor <laughs> yeah, and a wife and, and a mom. So I was mom. like, just like mind blown, like up doing poultices and up until <laughs> like I was the last one out of the barn at night and the first one in the barn in the morning and doing everything to the point where literally he just had to get dressed and get on his horse. And I did everything else. And I was just like, I cannot do this again. Hello, this is episode 47 of Canada Horse Podcast, and we're welcoming back our first third-time guest today for a conversation that many of you will relate to. Lindsay hayes Kofel joined us on past episodes to help with saddle choices, as well as recently to discuss her upcoming Equitation Accelerator online program. And today we're excited to have her here to discuss how to achieve success as a non-pro. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm thrilled to be your very first third time <laughs> guest. I hope people are not going to get sick of me. I hope I've got some good things to share with um, the non-pros today. Yeah, no, for sure. They're not going to be sick of you. Um, <laughs> hello. <laughs> we just want to give everyone like an understanding of your background and your current business before we jump into all the non-pro questions and hopefully get some advice. Lindsay is one of the most formally educated equestrians we've had on, and it gives her such a wide range of skills and experience. She went to Meredith Manor International Equestrian Center, where she majored in Western riding lessons and took equine science classes, including horse health, burn and horse care, riding theory, Western showing, dressage showing, classical dressage and training. And she graduated with honors and on the president's list. Her show ring success includes three top 10 NRHA world standings, a top five limited open reigning finalist at the All-American Congress, Quarter Horse Congress, a multiple time Eastern Canadian affiliate final champion and a top 10 finalist at the North American affiliate final in Oklahoma City. So there you go. (laughs) Well, that's a big list of education (laughs) and experience. Uh, Just so many accomplishments. So first of all, we just like to acknowledge that. And it's nice for the people who are listening for them to to get an idea of why do we keep having you on? (laughs) You have such a plethora of experience that we really respect that. And so we would love to start this episode episode by you just giving us a rundown on the Hayes Kofel performance horses that you run with your husband. So what does the, a program look like for your clients um, or what are options for your clients? So we have, have basically turned our business into a full service center for non-pros. So we do sell some tack um, and we do offer training, but the majority of what we do is actually coaching non-pros. So it doesn't even have to be somebody that is interested in reining. Some of the people that we have are only interested in working cows a little bit or doing some ranch riding. The majority of the people that we're teaching are reiners. So they can come to us in the form of um, coming for a clinic. They can come for a lesson. They can join us through one of our online programs where they're getting coaching through the online program. Um, Or they can join us through the training side of things. We're kind of drawing, kind of trying to meet the non-pros where they're at and then provide the services that they need to help them to accomplish whatever goal it is that they want to accomplish, whether that is getting to the show pen for the very first time, becoming a better rider in general, um, hauling for a world title, 
whatever that is, um, we like to just kind of welcome them into the fold and then get them on track for whatever their goals are. If we can sync them up with a couple other riders that are at the same kind of level or have the same kind of goals, then that's great. Um, but it's a very individualized program for each person. You know, obviously the, the more we work with somebody, the more individualized the program is. Okay. That sounds so good. I know, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay. So you're definitely the right person for this conversation to begin. I think it's important for us to talk about the fact that Nadine and I have chatted about this situation that we're going to be talking about in this, uh, in this episode, a fair amount, just amongst ourselves. There's one difference between us. And the difference is that we both kind of came into reigning at the same time, but Nadine got to come in as a non-pro and I was forced out of, you know, against my will to show as under the pro title. So I, I'm not, privilege to be in an area where there's a lot of rookie pro classes available in order for me to show rookie pro, I have to travel to Quebec. And so my experience has had to be to go from green rider to open classes. Uh, So it was a bit of a, a struggle to be able to wrap my head around the level of competition and just This year, I think it showcased it the most for me where I didn't feel like I was able to reach the success that I wanted to reach. If we could, just before we move too far um, into the episode, just talk a little bit about what you see with the rookie pros um, and the non-pros. Do you have a lot of rookie pros versus non-pros or is it predominantly non-pros? I, well, first, I want to start by saying that I had to do the same thing. I had never shown before and um, like in anything. I'd shown once at a club show when I was a kid and once at a little stable show when I was a kid. And I didn't like either experience. And when I started to, what, actually, when I got together with Jesse and I um, started to be more interested in reigning, um, I had to start out as a rookie pro as well. And so... I get what you're saying about about the levels and things and I we don't have a lot of rookie pros that we are teaching we have almost entirely non-pros there are some programs that people can do where they can try out like the apprenticeship program through the NRHA where they can kind of try out being a trainer without losing their non-pro status so we have done things like that before but we don't do, um, we don't teach a lot of rookie pros. I'm just really familiar with it because that's where I was for such a long time. So I got to know a lot of the other rookie pro riders. Typically it's a fairly big class. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, when I was showing in Michigan, it's not a very big class in Ontario, but when I was showing in Michigan, the rookie pro could sometimes have 18 or 20 riders in it and and the you know intermediate in the open may only have five or six Mm -hmm. so um there can be quite a lot in there I think I actually think it's a great place for somebody like you to go show though if Mm -hmm. you can get into the rookie pro um Mm -hmm. now are the shows that you're showing at not offering rookie pro they're only offering the limited open the intermediate and the open or just the intermediate and the open okay yeah yeah head knitting well, I was just going to say, like, we're talking specifically about reigning in the NRHA here, mm-hmm. and we're talking about non-pros and rookie pros and pros, and I didn't mention anything about, like, Green Rider or any of that. Like, I literally haven't entered an NRHA non-pro class yet. I consider myself a non-pro, but, like, there's still, like, a, a good a good amount of time you can spend in, like, Green Rider, Green as Grass, and then there's, like, the level one and level two green classes, so, like... I guess when for the purposes of this conversation, we're talking about as a non-pro, anybody that doesn't train and show reining horses as a profession. Yeah, that'd be fair. Because Nikki, you don't, you're, the reason you're in the rookie pro is because you do train horses, but not in reining. Correct. Yeah. You take money for lessons, but it has nothing to do with actually reining. So that's where yeah. the, the difference is. Yeah. And there were some, you know, there were some hiccups along the way in learning what the etiquette is around these classes where, you know, coming in like Nadine, you're saying, I I would 
have considered myself wanting to stay in those classes as well. And um, I've I've had a couple uh, comments said to me that I shouldn't have been in some of the green classes at all because I had purchased a specific course and because I was a specific level rider outside of reigning, even though I felt completely out of, like I went my very first NRHA rookie pro class, I went in one-handed and roll back one-handed for the first time in my life. So I, it, I felt like a fish out of water, but the outside in, I was being told, no, you're not, it's not appropriate for you to be in those green classes, even though I was technically allowed to be there based on earnings it was seen that it was inappropriate for me to be there. So then I felt like I needed to rush my way into the limited open and open classes here till I found the classes in Quebec, which were rookie pro offered there. And, and that was a little, a little more comfortable in ways, but also so intimidating (laughs) because it's a larger class and you're in a, in a larger place. So what I will say about that is in my experience, having to go directly into the open, I, was intimidated. I definitely was. Sometimes I'm still intimidated. I was intimidated. And the good parts of it, though, were that the warm-up pen is much more under control when you're warming up with the open riders than with the green riders. I always feel bad for my green rainers when they're riding around with a whole whack of green rainers and nobody really knows where they're supposed to be going. The warm-up pen is definitely easier. If you can make a connection with a couple of the other open riders it can be a really, they can really be a good way to help, help you come along. Even if they're not specifically coaching you, open riders have a very different perspective. Professional riders have a very different perspective on competition and how, you know, what horse you're on and how much experience you have. And they know, they know what it's like to Mm -hmm. be in your shoes. They know what it's like to be a rookie pro. They've seen, you know, by the time you're showing in the intermediate and the open, you know that somebody might teach lessons for a living and they have to show in the open and they're doing the best they can, Mm -hmm. right? They also know that that person, like you you may have the opportunity to ride more like a non-pro. And what I mean by that is you may have the same horse, you may personally own that horse and you're the only one riding it and you get an opportunity to really develop um, a relationship with that horse you start to get to know that horse you get to you get to know um, all of the things that they need to show at their peak and that's a huge advantage to riding more like a non-pro versus riding as an open rider where you're riding somebody else's horse you only have a short amount of time to be on it then you're on the next one sometimes you're riding multiple horses does that make sense oh yeah um, yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's nothing we can do right now to to change the way that the eligibility works. The Mm -hmm. rules are the rules. This is the rule that they've made. If you take money for teaching and training, then this is where you have to be. So you want to kind of wrap your head around that and look at how can I use this to my advantage? I get an opportunity to ride with the best riders at this show. I get an opportunity to focus in the warm-up pen. I get an opportunity to, you know, I think the judging is always tightened up a little bit for the open. I know it's not supposed to be, but I think the judging is always tightened up for the open. So they're watching a little bit more carefully. Your scores are going to be, you know, your scores are going to be accurate. You're not going to be gifted anything the way that sometimes Mm -hmm. you can't be um, in the green rainer, even if that might be appealing at first. It's it's really not. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't love that. Okay. We should jump right in to our different scenarios. We've put a lot of thought, the three of us into picking three scenarios that we think would be the most common situations for people, non-pros with their horses and trying to get into, um, successful competition. And we also came up with some factors that might contribute to the success or the difficulties. So some of those factors would be money, time, education or knowledge, goals, morals and values, family support, coaching support, and the location or the facility. So we're going to try to go through some scenarios with Lindsay and get her to kind of explain what those would look like from her perspective. And then maybe that would just show some people that maybe haven't experienced those different ways that it might work for them 
them or, or maybe some pros and cons and some advice on how to succeed in those situations? Yeah, I think it's really important for us to think about the fact that, you know, when someone is choosing to show their horse, there are multiple options and multiple factors. And sometimes when we are showing in a small place um, that tends to kind of stay with the same sort of pattern of showing, we aren't exposed to as many options. And I think one thing that might be happening in the Maritimes right now is there might be a shift happening that more options are starting to open up. So it's great to hear what options there are from people like you, Lindsay, who are, you know, this is your job. This is what you do. This is what you offer um, is individualized programs where people can say, okay, these are my factors and this is what it looks like for me. Now, what's my best case scenario to be successful? Yeah, absolutely. And everybody has different, um, a different circumstance that we, you know, we really want to try to help them achieve the most amount of success and get the most enjoyment out of it. We're saying success. And that sometimes sounds like winnings or earnings, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if you're a non-pro rider, if you're a green rider, you're a rookie, if you're not doing this professionally, the goal is to have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to try to create as much fun and enjoyment from that experience as we can, given whatever the limitations are. And sometimes I think we, I'm speaking for myself, we get (laughs) ahead of ourselves with our goals. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you may think you, it's just like somebody watching the Olympics when we watch the futurity or we watch the derbies or the run for a million, like that's our goal. You know, I want to do something really big, but we don't watch the Olympics and think like, I want to go out there and ski like an Olympic skier. We just Mm want to go out and ski and have fun or maybe, enter a local marathon or not whatever, break an arm. Right? Yeah. So we're not out there trying to break world records, but sometimes in our head, I think it's hard to wrap ourselves, wrap it around our minds like that. So I think the goals is definitely a big thing. Yeah. You know, whether you're trying to do like a local show, you're just getting out there and having fun with your horse, or you're trying to get to a regional show, you're going to Quebec or you're going to the Congress. Mm-hmm that's really important to like keep in mind. So let's start with the example of a full service horse in training. What does that look like, Lindsay? Are they with you full year round? How much time do you spend on the horse? How much time does the non-pro come in and ride? And then what does it look like at the show? It's really different for everybody, but usually if the horse is younger, it's in training full time and we're riding it, you know, four or five days a week. There's usually months here and there that get busy for the non-pro where they can't come down. Or sometimes there's time where it's not in the horse's best interest for the non-pro to be riding. So if we're, you know, riding a three-year-old, there are sometimes stages that the three-year-old will go through where it's actually better to just have the trainers on the horse's back until the horse starts to solidify something. And then leading up into whenever that non-pro is going to show, then we want to get the non-pro on um, that horse as much as we possibly can. So for some people, that's once a week. For some people, it's three or four days a week, five days a week. Um, It kind of looks different for everyone. But I would say that what it looks like, you know, for the purpose of this conversation, what it looks like to have kind of full service would be to have the horse in training full time whether some of those rides are um, the non-pro coming in and riding with the supervision of the trainer or just the trainer riding. And then a number of lessons, amping up the number of lessons leading into the show, the couple of weeks before the show, ideally being on the horse's back, the non-pro being on the horse's back multiple times per week for a few weeks before the show. And then at the horse show, riding interchangeably. So sometimes the trainer's riding, sometimes the non-pro's riding. Mostly it's going to be the non-pro riding with coaching from the trainer. But that option is there for us to be able to get on in school a little bit. Or if somebody wants to go to bed early, but their horse needs to get settled in the pen a little bit more, then we would take the horse out in the middle of the night and do that. And it's our co- what we do for our coaching is I don't want to say it's 24 hours a day but it it's often many hours out of the day it's getting into the pen in the middle of the night so that the horses get in there on their own so that they can get settled in there 
it's at least an hour of kind of coaching supervision leading up to when that rider shows it's coaching while they're in the pen and then it's reviewing the videos after they've shown so much good support i love it's it a yeah. lot. it is it's a lot, lot of support yeah <laughs> so i clearly that is going to take a lot of time on your behalf but not so much on the client's behalf which is nice for someone who has a very busy life outside of their horse life now, financially, you don't have to give us exactly what you guys charge or you can, but just, can you give me a ballpark range or, you know, all of these different lessons, are they paying extra every time they come for a lesson? Do you have just like a flat rate or, you know, a show rate? That's mm-hmm. what I would like people to understand is like, what does this actually cost for them to do? So training is 1300 a month for the horse to be in. And then lessons are on top of that. A lot of times what we'll do with the non-pros leading up to um, show season is we'll try to book a clinic where we get everybody together and we have an opportunity to kind of do some schooling runs. Clinics are a good way to get a lot of riding in without paying a lot of money. You know, you're paying Mm -hmm. 150 or 200 bucks or something for the whole day of riding. And then the day fee, we charge a hundred dollar day fee for coaching at the show. So you're going to have your training bill. You're going to have however many lessons you take at whatever the rate is for your lessons, whether it's a, you know, a group rate or a private rate. And then you're going to have your daily fee for coaching at the horse show. Okay. I think that's fantastic for everybody to hear that broken down in that sort of way, because I think what happens sometimes Nadine and I kind of chatted about this this morning is that. When you're used to doing everything on your own and you have grown up in a show environment where you are on your own and you feel like you have to do everything on your own, there's sometimes it's ego driven. Sometimes it's been financially driven from when you were a young person, um, from your family, whichever else. And then you kind of get a little bit of, of a mindset around feeling like, there's all shame in having someone else pick up some slack because you should be doing it yourself or you should know, or your experience should be allowing you to do that. And I think it's important for us to look at that breakdown and say, financially, this is what this costs. But as I get older and I have these other responsibilities, if I still want to be successful, whether that just be entering the show pen, this is what I may have to decide is right for me. So rather than looking at people who are using these options and saying like, oh, must be nice, you know, must be nice to be able to go to the show and having not ridden your horse um, or or done this, done the, all the chores yourself. You know what I mean? Like those sort of, those sort of um, mindsets rather look in, and say, oh, these are just options in order to balance our lifestyle so that we're not burning the candle at every single end um, and then getting to the show pen feeling like we're alone and worn out. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to show a horse a lot. You know, there's the amount of money that you spend on the horse mm-hmm. right from the get go, you know, there's how much help you have with the training. There's the equipment that you have. There's, you know, did your trainer haul the horse there and you flew in? Sometimes I think that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, there, there's a lot that goes into it. It's a very, um, you know, it's a very personal experience. I know what you're saying about the pride around having done it yourself, but I also think that if you look at it from a perspective of the type of athlete and the type of um, competition that you are competing at, so if we're talking about NRHA, that's that's the National Reigning Horse Association. It's actually the International Reigning Horse Association, but they haven't changed the name of it, right? So we're competing at a world-class level, or we're competing at, if you're going to Quebec, you're competing at a you know provincial level. And any athlete competing at a provincial level in another sport is probably getting a lot of support, mm-hmm. right? Like you said um, earlier, family support, coaching support, Um, you know, maybe working out with a personal trainer or, you know, the equipment, all of those things. So 
I don't think that there should be shame in getting support. Um, I think that I know what you're saying with that, but I think that we need to work to erase that because mm -hmm. I think it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing to think that we have to do it all ourselves. Um, and it's, it's widely um, accepted in other sports. So why do we still feel like we have to be the only one, you know, doing it ourselves? Yeah. I think we can get to where we want to go better and more efficiently if we have the right support and, and not only gets where we want to go in terms of, have I met my goals? Did I go win the Congress? But also in having more fun, you can mm -hmm. have a lot more fun if you have the right coach um, on your team backing you. Yeah. I like how you, how you connected this to other sports because immediately in my head, I connected it to the conversations I've had with uh, Nikki and even like a lot of other friends about getting a house cleaner. And, you know, we, I've read this book, the productivity project, and it gets to a point where, you know, you start to figure out what your hourly rate is and how much time you spend doing something and what that time is worth. And especially as moms and working moms and, you know, different families, once you get to a point where you're like, well, it'd be really helpful to have somebody clean my house, but then you have that pride and shame attached to it and these, these different things. My mom did it herself or whatever. And then all of a sudden you get that person in and you get your house clean and it just gives you so much more time and you enjoy your space more. <laughs> you mm -hmm. have your time with your kids and things like that. And, and so I think it's a similar situation. I'm, I'm lighting light bulbs are going off in my brain a little bit about like, well, maybe I would just enjoy the whole scenario more if I had to do less of the work on my own. And I think what burnt me out so much this summer was when Mark got a horse. It was like the greatest idea to get him this reigning horse that he could come along and do the shows with me. But I very quickly realized, first of all, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> I'm doing everything for two horses and I have high standards <laughs> on how they're Now I'm a groom for. and a coach <laughs> and an exhibitor. Yeah. And a wife and a mom. <laughs> So I was like, just like mind blown, like up doing poultices and up until <laughs> like I was the last one out of the barn at night and the first one in the barn in the morning and doing everything to the point where literally he just had to get dressed and get on his horse. And I did everything else. And I was just like, I cannot do this again. Right. Okay. So, okay. So you had the full green rainer experience and <laughs> you do have to hold their hand that first year, but next year will be easier. He did. He picked it up quick, right? Mickey, you were there. Like he was helping me put on boots yep. in the end. Like he yep. was starting to understand the pit crew mentality we had going. On. And I think, I think too, Nadine, and maybe this is something I, I kind of experienced a little bit this summer is when you are offered support but you're used to doing things your own way and yourself, there's a little resistance there around what you're willing to let go of. So like I have let go of the fact I need to saddle my own horse, but I have not let go of the fact that I need to wrap my own horse. So, you know, getting, getting into, uh, into a rhythm with your support is nice as well. Lindsay, you're laughing. <laughs> So yeah, so I have two things I want to say. One is that a major light bulb moment for me as far as this goes is having been down to the fraternity and seeing the million dollar riders being coached by each other. Mm. Okay, I don't know if you remember when um, Craig Schmersel won the fraternity a couple of years ago and more than a couple of years ago now, a few years ago and came out and was like in tears and was being congratulated by Mike McIntyre who had been coaching him essentially helping him with some of his maneuvers right before like the, the days leading up to the fraternity finals if Craig Schmersel is getting coaching from somebody else if Craig Schmersel can accept coaching from somebody else then why the heck are we not accepting coaching mm -hmm. from somebody else mm -hmm. you know yeah. I think yeah, we absolutely have to do that. The other the other thing, reason why I'm laughing is because I'm thinking about the first time that I showed a Rainer and I would not let Jesse on this horse because I had to do it all myself. Jesse was already an established Rainer. Everybody knew who he was. I was just starting out. I wanted to set the world on fire. He was not allowed on my horse. And, you know, I did it and it was okay. And it, it whatever, we got as far as we did. 
when I was showing in 2017 and um, I was lucky enough to get pregnant partway through the year and I had to finish the year. I chose, I didn't have to, I chose to finish the year as far as I could while I was pregnant. I had to give up a lot of the control of my horse. I wasn't saddling it. The majority of the time I was not saddling my own horse. Some of the time, like when we went to a couple shows where there was extreme heat, I was sitting in the truck beside the warm-up pen in the air conditioning <laughs> until moments before I went into show. Jesse was schooling my horse. Everybody else was wrapping the legs, getting the horse all ready. I literally stepped out of the truck, stepped onto the mounting block. They zipped my chaps up for me and, and I went and did my thing. There are so many different ways to show mm -hmm. a horse and giving up some of that control is probably a good exercise for some of us that have needed and wanted that control all along. But I think we need to take that judgment. Um, you know, we take that judgment off of ourselves and off of other people for how we do it. You know, we all do it in a different way. I love it. Yeah. And that's a great example of the, <laughs> the extreme yeah. that it can get to. <laughs> um, yeah. So our second example is basically someone that keeps their horse at home or boards them and maybe just sends them to training for a few months, get them legged back up before the show season, or just does regular lessons, but, and may or may not have coaching support. Would that be right, Nikki? Like just kind of the in-between person. Yeah. Yeah. Or they have their horse at home and they do occasional lessons with a coach or clinics and then meet the coach at the show and just have some coaching at, and support at the, at the show, but not necessarily like full support of like tacking and grooming and being there and talking about the class. So I would say this is probably where most people fit in is where they have the horse at home or boarded out for the majority of the year. Um, a lot of our clients will send their horses in in the spring because in order for rainers to really be fit enough to go show we like to have them ridden very consistently for at least three months so here which I think is probably similar to you guys most of the shows in Ontario are starting up in kind of May so that means horses coming in you know February March April or January February March if we're starting a little bit earlier as far as getting them shown um so they're coming in here, we're getting them legged up. A lot of times that works out really well because they don't have an indoor arena. They don't have access to an indoor arena or it coincides with their really busy season or, you know, whatever. So we'll take the horses in for a few months leading into show season. They will amp up the number of lessons that they do as we get closer to show season. And then sometimes, depending on how far the show season goes, sometimes that horse may come back into training um, in September or August, September, October, if there's a goal like going to Congress or um, trying to qualify for regional affiliates or the North American affiliate finals or something like that. My question there is how does the the training translate mm. to the owner, like the non-pro that would be, you know, just my beginner concern here is like, well, the trainer's been riding my horse for three or four months. Am I going to know exactly, are we going to jive when I get back on to go show? So that's another, that's a really good question. And there's definitely a transition period for a non-pro to coming back to their horse after it's had some training. But I think what really needs to happen here is it has to be in training with the right person. Mm -hmm. So there are some people, there are some trainers that are really good at helping non-pros get their horses shown. And there are some trainers that are really good at other things, right? Some trainers that are really good at getting horses shown themselves, but don't do a lot of non-pros. If you are a non-pro and you are sending your horse to training with the goal for yourself to be able to ride it, you want to send it to a trainer who works with a lot of non-pros so that that translation can be made very easily. And so that the training that that horse is getting is with the goal for you to ride it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into that from our perspective, a lot of foreseeing what issues you're going to have in the show pen and being able to um, teach the horse some exercises and work on some specific things to get ahead of those. 
Great question. That is a huge, that is a huge factor, I think. And, and really important. It's not just like send them to any trainer, the closest trainer, the cheapest trainer. It's like somebody that deals with actually working with non-pros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's not a lot of them around, you know, when we go to, you know, we, we typically show in Michigan, sometimes we show in Ohio, New York, sometimes Pennsylvania, sometimes we go down to Tennessee. There's only a couple of trainers kind of in each one of those states that do a really good job with non-pros. So that's a very low number of people when you think of it in the world that actually are good at doing that. So I know where you guys are, it's challenging to find help, period, let alone that really specialized help. But um, I I guess that's the point of this conversation, right? Is that those are some of the options. And I think part of the conversation too, if we're looking beyond just the people who are looking to find these sort of options, it would be that if, if someone in the area is a coach or is a trainer and is looking for other ways to branch out with their services, this is a great conversation for somebody to start getting some ideas and saying, oh, this is clearly something that's not offered as much in our area. Maybe it's something that I could add to um, add to my list of offers. So the last example, Nadine, that we would like to talk about is just the example of someone who either boards their horse or keeps the horse at home, prefers to do their own training and maintenance, takes clinics or lessons periodically, and then attends shows without the support of a regular coach. I, I guess these are the people that I don't see as much, right? If, if yeah. you're asking my opinion on that, I, these are the people that I don't interact with as much because they're not, you know, they're not hiring me for my services. It can be done. I think it can be done. And I think the more experience that a person already has, the more they can go on their own, you know, the more that somebody has been to the reigning shows and has been through the pen and they kind of know some of the exercises and they, you know, they know how to memorize a pattern. They know, you know, once you're riding in the true non-pro, you know, the limited intermediate non-pro, there's a lot more that can be done on your own to a fairly high degree of success. I still think the best way to go is with coaching. Yeah. I would say that when I started reigning, I would have expected myself to be able to fall into the category three. I would have expected to be able to maintain my horse, go to the shows, not have a coach and hold my own. And I think I was taught very differently. Um, just the warm up pen alone. I not, I feel like I knocked my own confidence by not setting myself up for success my very first show season. Um, I think last year was much more supportive, but I think, yeah, I think the right supports are so important in order to go and build that confidence and maintain the confidence and just not feel like you're alone. Yeah. It it doesn't, it's not fun to be alone. (laughs) I will say like that is my experience. That has been my experience for, you know, a couple different reasons. And I guess like, for other people that are in our situation, I, I would say there's quite a few people around this area that are in that situation. They're doing local shows. They don't have a lot of aspirations to do showing outside of the maritime say, so we're just going to different shows on the weekends, you know, here in most of Canada, we're not showing year round. We're doing like through the summer. It's not like we live in Texas where we can show all the time and have access to trainers all down the street. And, and the money, like the money is a huge factor, mm-hmm. but I have seen it in both situations because I boarded my horse for quite a long time. So we're looking at like $500 a month just to board your horse and then you do the riding. And so if you take the cost of hay, the cost of your burn, the cost of all of the things, not to mention your time and effort that you put into that, you know, it was a dream of mine to have my horse at home. And I do now, and I ride significantly less. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't have an indoor arena. So, you know, when I had him at an indoor arena, I would ride all winter long and then it was great. I could get lessons. It was easier to get a coach in and the weather wasn't really an issue. And now that I have them home, I don't ride nearly as much. The weather is an issue. 
what I did last year to get ready because we had Franco coming in April, I boarded my horse from February until April and I rode almost every day. And so that's how I legged my horse up and I did it all on my own that way. But I was completely burnt out by the end of August doing all of this, plus trying to help Mark show his horse. So I'm coming to terms with goals versus time, finances and everything else. And my pride, you know, like I'm real, I've always been like, well, my horse is like, I've got them really nicely fine tuned. Like I have a good partnership with my horse and I have this fear, whether it's realistic or not, that if I send him to somebody else to train, it's going to like take that away. You know, he won't be quite the same as he is. And I, I think probably that might be just silly, but I'm probably not the only one that's thinking that that's, those are my two cents of a person that's trying to do it on their own and not really making a lot of progress from year to year, (laughs) you know, like it's very little steps instead of like a significant step. Right. Yeah. I think that's where you look in at, and maybe Lindsay, you can kind of uh, speak to this as well as, is finding the right person for the support that offers the right amount of support um, where, you know, maybe you don't feel like you need to send them off, but maybe you just need to have more support just at the shows or, you know, just looking to, to find the right support system for you while also looking at the factors of pride and finances and all of those sort of things. But just saying like, what is right for me? What do I need to be able to enjoy my horse more and also not be burnt out at the end of the season? And sometimes, you know, I guess the main point of sending your horse to the trainer is that they don't feel the same when they get back because you want them to feel better than when they left. Well, you know, that's a point. (laughs) It's good. Lindsay's doing a lot of thinking. Well, I think, like I said before, the goal for you is for it to be an enjoyable experience. So if you already are happy with the way that your horse is going and riding for you, then maybe you don't need to send it out. Mm -hmm. What is the support that you do desire for the horse shows? Because it sounds like you could use a groom, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's what I need. Yeah. I mean, and there's loads of people that want to come to a horse show and wrap legs and walk horses out and groom them and stuff. You just got to find the right one who wants to come with you and tag along to the horse show, clean stalls, fill up water buckets, be your person standing at the gate with your pattern book, help them, you know, get them to show you how to pass your hat off to you when you're riding. Like that's you know, literally what I'm missing. That is it. Need a little space in life. That's part of the beauty of showing with a group, right? Is like yeah. everybody kind of pitches in and helps. But if you, you need um, you know, if you just need to hire somebody or find a, a high school student or a personal friend or somebody, they don't even have to be very old. We have, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have my five and seven year old quite, <laughs> quite ready to do that part of the job, but they don't even have to be very old to do that stuff. You could really get anybody to help you with that stuff and just take that off your plate. Now I, we, I traveled with a, a small group of people all summer and it, it was significant to go every time I went to the show pen someone had the things so I was walking on my horse and they had the things and I knew everybody knew who was going to do the the chaps and who is going to go to the end gate and that is significant Mm -hmm. when you have your mind in in the game you really want to show up for you and your horse um taking the pressure off Lindsay I think you just changed Nadine's life yeah (laughs) <laughs> I think you did. Yeah. Get yourself a groom. <laughs> this is the advertisement for whoever. <laughs> so, okay. So just one other thing, you know, like that is life-changing for me, but what if somebody just wanted to, to get a coach to support them at the show? Is that really difficult as a coach to get yeah. to do that for somebody? It is partly because most of the time we have our hands full with our clients that are riding with us all the time. And we really have to, um, make sure that they are um, well-managed, make sure that, you know, when they need us, they have us and that we're really spending the appropriate amount of attention with them to try to teach somebody that you've never taught before um, while at a horse show is really hard to do. 
-hmm. You know, it's really hard because you're not speaking the same language. You don't know the same exercises. You don't know, you know, even the equipment, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've done it before. We Jesse and I have done it before. And most of the time we will not do it because we have too much on the go with our existing people. Um, But when we do do it, it's really challenging because you're like, okay, what, you know, why isn't this working? Well, what bit do they have in the horse's mouth? Or do they know their pattern? Do I know that they know their pattern? (laughs) You know, they're saying they know their pattern, but do they really know their pattern? Like there's so many, it really is like almost an intimate relationship that you have with your students, the longer that you show with them, because the less you can say, but the more you know about how to support them. So to try to help somebody that you have never, you know, helped before, it is really difficult. And I think for most people, like, like what I see, what I'm guessing it's like to be a non-pro or to be like a green rainer at a horse show and you see a coach and you're like, Hey, can you help me? I think it's actually very overwhelming for that person as well. Unfortunately at the horse show, you can't schedule 60 minutes into the horse show to just sit down and have a structured lesson. It's more like, have you done this? Do you know how to do that? Okay. You're getting ready to show. You got to be ready in a few minutes. Like it's very, it is very overwhelming. So even a handful of lessons with a coach before going to the show is probably a better option if you can swing it. Okay. (laughs) I know we're running short on time and I feel like I wish we had two hours for this. (laughs) Do we, Nikki, do you think we have given some help to people in those different situations to show what the different scenarios could be? Yeah, I believe so. I think that sometimes some people don't even know that there's different options, that it's just comes down to luck for people. And it's not, it comes down to choice. It comes down to looking at what your options are so that you can do whatever showing looks like to you or for you at whatever level you aspire to be. And that you, you know, there are other options available other than just doing it yourself or doing nothing at all (laughs) and just stepping on your horse. There's so many in-between areas. Uh, And I know there's some people who who are listening who will say, I hate showing, I never want to show. And maybe this can open up some ideas that, it, it's really fun to go show when you have the right support system in place. And so maybe it's not that you hate showing, it's that you hate showing alone and that you you know need to, to look and see if those options are available. And if they're not, and you're looking around and you see there's no options available, maybe you can suggest that somebody create those options because uh, we, d- we all deserve that amount of support. And I think that our horse world's growing. So I think that we're opening up to all of these sort of things. Um, but we are short on time. I do have to go get my daughter in like five minutes. <laughs> well, and so just to tie this together with our episode that we did on values, I think it is worth mentioning that we have horses because we love them because we enjoy them. And a lot of time we want to create a relationship with them, but some people have horses because they like a sport or mm-hmm. because they want to win money and because it's part of a business opportunity. And there's, there's no wrong answer there. There's no problem with having a horse for a reason where you don't have them in your own backyard, taking care of them every day. I grew up and, and even up until like a couple of years ago, like, I think I even said this to you, Nikki, like, why would anybody buy a horse and then send them off for training? That doesn't make sense. Like, why wouldn't you have a horse and then have you have it to enjoy it, to have a relationship with them, not to like send them away. And so I'm starting to like open my mind to the different options. And I think that maybe other people might want to open their mind to those options as well, that like, you can still have a horse and love it and enjoy it when you go see it at the trainers or when you go ride it at home just as much. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that open-mindedness, I think that's exactly what we're looking to achieve here. So awesome. Good. I'm glad. Can I leave you, leave your audience with three tips for making their show experience less exhausting? Absolutely. Nadine, are you taking notes? (laughs) Nadine's going to get a personal groom. (laughs) Okay. So the first tip that I have is to plan out the fun part of the horse show. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Where are you going to have fun? What is the fun part? Do you have, do you get a thrill when you show? Do you have a friend that you're going to show with? Are you going to have a ice cream run? 
ice cream runs are a big thing with our group. Can you plan a dinner? Um, we did a pancake breakfast at one of the shows this year that was really fun. Plan somehow into your weekend, plan out the fun part. Okay, the second one is if you are exhausted, if you're feeling that the show experience is exhausting, you need to check your mindset. Okay, mm -hmm. because likely your nerves are taking over. And I know a lot of people don't want to admit when they're feeling nervous, but we all feel nerves when we're at a horse show. And nerves can turn us into cranky, miserable, irritable human beings. And that can suck the life right out of the horse show. That can suck the fun right out of the horse show. So check your mindset. Check yourself when you're at the horse show. I do this for fun. I'm going to take a big deep breath. My horse is doing his job as best as he can, given the information I'm giving him. I get joy out of feeding him, brushing him, hanging out with my friends, riding in the warm-up pen, riding in the middle of the night, riding in a different place, whatever it is, check your mindset and make sure that you're not exhausting yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is, and this is kind of what we said before about um, hiring a groom. I want you to think about treating yourself like a professional athlete when you're at the show. Hmm. So don't go in there expecting to do all of the things for everybody. You need to somehow build in some places where you are being supported as the athlete that you are when you go and show. So whether that means getting a groom to come and help you with wrapping legs and filling out buckets, or whether that means you go and have a beamer treatment or you get a massage. Sometimes there are massage therapists that are at the show or whatever that looks like to you to be treated like a pro athlete. That is going to help your mindset. It's going to help the fun. It's going to help your performance. And it's going to help to make the horse show feel like the fun that it's supposed to be. Those are that was tips. perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Those okay. are great tips. I love them. All right. Well, we are going to wrap this up. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Thanks for so coming. Much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to send us some love is by sharing about Canada Horse Podcast with your friends finding us on Instagram and leaving a review is always appreciated with your support of the show. You are making a positive impact on our horse world until next time. Right on Canada.